Hello and welcome to the EcoBusiness Podcast. I'm Tim Ha, a correspondent at EcoBusiness, and today we'll talk about power development in Laos, a country that just announced it will commence the construction of two new coal-fired power plants with a combined capacity of 2.5 gigawatts this year. In 2021, when most other nations around the world are moving away from coal, not towards it. Banks have begun turning their backs on coal due to the climate risk associated with it, as well as the falling costs of clean alternatives such as solar and wind, not to mention coal's severe impacts on public health. But Laos appears to be only just getting started on coal. The Southeast Asian country currently has only one coal-fired power plant in operation, the Hong Sa power plant, which was built to export electricity to Thailand. But in addition to the two plants that the country plans to build this year, there is at least one more potential project in the pipeline, a 1000 megawatt coal plant in the country's south, which is backed by a Singapore-based developer. Laos, which is traversed by the Mekong River and known for its mountainous terrain, has long been in the spotlight for its ambitious development of hydropower dams. The reason why Laos has been doing that is that it aims to turn itself into a hub of Southeast Asia's rising cross-border electricity trade. Small and landlocked, Laos ranks among Southeast Asia's poorest nations, and authorities believe that exporting power to increasingly energy-hungry neighbors will drive economic growth. The country has already signed a number of electricity trading pacts with Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, and even Malaysia. But while there is perhaps nothing intrinsically wrong with the idea of tapping one's energy resources to lift people out of poverty, the government's shift to coal is extremely controversial. On this podcast, Anders Nordheim, who is the Senior Vice President Asia for Sustainable Finance at the WWF Singapore, argues that Laos should take a long-term perspective on economic growth and pivot to renewables. The government's current pursuit of coal development, he says, comes with considerable financial risk and at the expense of the country's people. Welcome to the podcast, Anders. Hi, Tim. Thanks for uh, having me. So Laos is greenlighting quite a few coal-fired power plants these days. Why is the country so keen on coal development at the moment? Well, Laos's intentions to um, have a strategy around energy exports, uh, essentially to become the battery of, of Southeast Asia, has well been um, documented. You know, we know that that's one of their development objectives, and you know, we we recognise that there is a need to lift developing countries out of poverty, um, and the country is quite well positioned for this also. I mean, they do have ample stocks of coal, um, considerable opportunities for renewables, and it's understandable that a focus on, focus on energy investment would be an attractive move for the government. But, you know, lessons from other countries embarking on extraction of, of natural resources should really be considered, especially in view of the rapidly falling uh, demand for coal. So, Coal-fired power plants in, in Laos, if they are embarked on, if they are developed, if, if new plants are being built, they're very likely to become stranded assets as the world's appetite for coal and other fossil fuels falls. So rather than 
coal becoming, you know, the or loss, sorry, becoming the, the coal pit of ASEAN, the opportunity here is in renewables. Uh, so a shift in direction is definitely needed from our point of view. And by renewables, do you mean hydropower? Because that's what Laos has traditionally been doing a lot. Or do you mean solar and wind? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I mean, Laos has traditionally, and many other countries around the, the Mekong have traditionally focused on, on hydropower dams for electricity. Um, but large-scale hydropower especially is increasingly becoming sensitive and, and a political issue. It's driven by many of the documented impacts of, you know, of the dams that have already been built upstream, especially in some of the nature protected areas there. And these dams have considerable impacts downstream. They affect fish catches. They uh, enable salinity intrusion into um, downstream areas where there's rice production. And they also enable the erosion of um, the riverside infrastructure. So in the Mekong, in the Mekong countries, they're becoming increasingly vocal about their concerns on hydropower development. And I think this is where certainly we would advocate a, a shift towards uh, solar and towards wind. And Laos has a, has a very good opportunity in both these areas. Uh, we um, published a, a study of this uh, a little while back, a power vision report essentially um, in WWF and where we find that there is certainly opportunities for other energy operations like solar or, or wind power. Just to give an example, I mean, wind, uh, the average wind speed in, in the areas where this would be feasible in, um, in Laos is, is well within uh, the, what is required for developing wind farms. And the nice thing about wind farms also is that you can, you know, you can still have crops around it. It's not like you're taking a very large area of the country and essentially removing it from uh, local communities. So this is to us a much, much more attractive proposition. Right, that makes sense to me. There are quite a few barriers though, standing in the way of renewable energy development in Laos, and most of them are obviously policy related. Before we get to that though, I wanna talk a bit more about coal. So why is it that right now, most countries around the world, including a lot of nations in Southeast Asia, such as Vietnam, are moving away from coal? Could you elaborate on that? Uh, I mean, it's, it's all linked to climate risk. So on the current path of, of carbon dioxide emissions, we're expecting average global temperature to increase by between three and, and five degrees Celsius by the end of the century. And in order to meet the Paris Agreement targets and to achieve net zero emissions by 2050, power generation needs to rely on renewable energy rather than on fossil fuels. And I mean, that's not to say that this will be um, a uh, in contradiction with development, we're very, as I said before, we're very much supportive of green and sustainable development. And you know, shifting to green economies will add all of these um, economic gains that um, in some cases have been estimated at over 
26 trillion dollars through to 2030. So this is why many countries in ASEAN and around the world are now shifting away from coal. If we want to, I mean, just to give a specific example, if we want to, um, if we want to achieve the Paris Agreement targets, then by some measures, we need to have coal completely phased out by 2040. Um, and that means that all of the coal plants, including Laos, have to be shut. And this is the, um, this is the target and this is the transition path for energy that many countries are using, that many financial institutions are also increasingly using. And this is where we see a very concerted shift away from coal, not just in countries, but in financial institutions and even in energy developers. You mentioned Vietnam. That's, there, there's an increasing understanding there um, and also in other countries around ASEAN that this shift is inevitable. It is uh, driven by international commitments, by financing constraints, and by um, policy decisions um, that really enable this shift towards, um, towards renewables. And, and the momentum is just going to accelerate. Right. Well, the governor of Hikom province, though, in Laos, where the two coal power plants that were just announced um, are going to be built starting in 2021, recently said that it will generate a lot of income for local people and drive economic growth in the province. What do you say to that? It's true that there will might be short-term benefits in terms of income generation and job creation, certainly. But with developments like this, especially large-scale infrastructure and energy developments, it's critical to look at the full life cycle of the initiative. I mean, first of all, this project risks becoming a stranded asset because of the uh, financial viability of the investment in the long term. And there's the impact of the effects on local health and environment as well. Uh, I mean, this is documented from um, other comparable plants in Laos, and it's important not to see any of these short-term gains in isolation of the longer-term impacts. And, you know, where you have viable renewable alternatives, renewable technology that can be deployed, you can still support growth, you can still support job creation in the region but you reduced some of the financial risks, you reduced some of the public health issues that coal brings. Right, right. So, you know, given, like you said, that a lot of countries are shifting away from, from the fuel, from coal, what would you say are the risks involved for Laos to do that now? Because it, it just appears to be getting started now, you know, as the world is moving in the other direction. And most importantly, who will eventually foot the bill? You know, if, like you said, it's, it might end up as a stranded asset. So who's actually going to pay for that? Is it going to be developers or financiers? Is it going to be the government and taxpayers? So certainly with the accelerating divestment globally away from coal in the private sector and also the commitments that countries are making, it's very likely to become a toxic asset for the country. And certainly you mentioned stranded assets, but even beyond that, if 
the country wants to access international debt markets, this is going to be increasingly an issue. Um, and you know, if they are inclined to continue production uh, in such ventures, it would mean that it would be difficult for them to contribute meaningfully to green economic growth in the region. And they might, as a country, become sidelined as the rest of ASEAN moves forward. So, I mean, one issue is, is whether they can still find buyers for the energy. Remember, this is primarily for export. It's, it's not primarily for the local market. So are they going to be able to find buyers for this energy in 20 or 30 years time, even if they have power purchasing agreements right now, if the neighboring countries reject oil. You look at Singapore's new green plan that was launched yesterday. It includes the possibility of importing green energy from ASEAN. So it might really be better for Laos to plan for accessing these new markets uh, and essentially become the green of, of ASEAN. And same thing with direct producers, uh, purchases of energy like large-scale producers, purchasers of um, energies like corporates. They're also setting their own uh, net zero targets or making decarbonization commitments. And that might make it less likely for the country to attract new investment in other sectors if it's a very fossil fuel heavy industry. So these um, companies would have to take that into consideration when they decide whether they should invest in, in Laos or in Vietnam. And I mean, in terms of who foots the bullet, it, it ultimately depends very much who finances it and, and who sits with, with the asset. And, and often it does, unfortunately, um, become a, um, a, a drain on finances for, uh, for the public purse. Indeed, yeah. You you keep mentioning green growth opportunities for Laos, right? And especially now with COVID, people around the world, experts have been calling for a green recovery, saying that COVID represents a wonderful opportunity to really drive green growth and to um, pivot sectors away from, from polluting energy sources. So has Laos missed an opportunity here to really fund more green development? So the experience of um, the post, well, we're, we're still struggling through uh, the COVID pandemic, unfortunately, and, and there's been devastating impacts on, on communities all around the world as, as a result of this. But as we look to um, transitioning out of that uh, sometime later in the year. And as we think about how to invest and, and where to invest in the future, certainly um, sustainable um, industries and um, new innovations are a big part of that narrative. And, and we certainly have um, advocated for um, thinking about, you know, what what's what is the economy mix right now? But what will it look like in, in 20, 30, 40 years time? And think about how to invest now for the future. And um, certainly Laos also has that opportunity. But I, I don't think the opportunity is missed. I mean, I don't think an opportunity is ever missed. It's earlier you start 
the more you will benefit from the momentum. And um, you know, if you continue to um, have a heavily fossil fuel and even dirty fossil fuel um, mix in, in your energy production and energy um, delivery, then you're starting a little bit further behind and it becomes difficult to catch up. Indeed, yeah. I want to talk a bit more about the companies that are behind these projects that Laos is launching. And one of them is a Chinese firm, right? Which is behind one of the two plants that are going to be built this year. So China pledged to be carbon neutral by 2060 last year. Why do you think is the disconnect between China's climate pledge and its current activities overseas? Yeah, I mean, the, I mean we're, we're certainly very um, supportive and, and welcome China's pledge. Um, it's great to see that from, from one of the large economies of, of the world. Um, there's been a lot of speculation, especially in the media, about how China is actually going to deliver on these ambitious pledges that it has made on climate uh, commitments. Um, I mean, even within China, um, I was reading a recent news report that China still has lots of coal power plants in development, even within the country. Um, and I mean, by all the reasonable measures, an expansion of the sector is largely compatible with a 2060 pledge. Um, and it's likely that a lot of these plants will have to uh, be retired early uh, unless they can develop really brilliant CCS technology that, that can be deployed at scale. So um, when it comes to the disconnect, I mean, the, um, the way the UNFCCC approaches work with, with country measurements is that, you know, countries take responsibility for the um, affairs within their own national borders, including carbon emission and, and other environmental impacts, and um, not you know, for something that a Chinese company might do outside of their borders. But I mean, it's possible that um, China's pledge has compelled Chinese developers to start looking outside of the country for, uh, for opportunities. If, Things are becoming more challenging within the country. But um, I mean, I think it's important that you know, countries like Laos and, and others think long term in how they want to um, how they want to develop their energy sector, how they want to position themselves. And this is really where there's a need to reject uh, coal and, and move quickly into renewables. Right. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned CCS. And just for our listeners, that's carbon capture and storage technology, which essentially captures the CO2 carbon dioxide before it enters the atmosphere at source. Um, because a lot of experts have been highlighting that it might actually never work, or at least it might not work in time to save the world from dangerous global heating. Um, plus, it would make coal-fired power plants a lot more expensive than they currently are because they would need to be retrofitted. Do, 
Do you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, I mean, all, all of those um, issues that you mentioned are, are um, considerations when, when you look at uh, carbon capture and storage technologies. Um, I mean, our concern, I guess, is there is a potential in, in sectors where you need a transition, such as energy. CCS technology has the um, ability to prolong um, the viability of assets, potentially, if it can be deployed at scale, which it still hasn't been able to demonstrate. I mean, we, we, we think it's much more logical to um, try to rather retire these assets and move any investment, any new investment into new renewable technology instead. It just makes much more sense. Yeah, indeed. So let's talk a bit about renewables and the opportunities for, for solar and wind, especially in Laos. So you mentioned the WWF Greater Mekong report earlier that your team published. And the report showed that it's technically feasible to meet the electricity needs of the Lao population almost entirely with renewable energy sources by 2050. So right now, what would you say is the holdup in Lao's energy transition then? Yeah, I mean, I mean, first, I think it's important to note that, again, much of the electricity um, that's part of this discussion is, is not going to the people, but is, is instead going for exports. So I guess there's an important tension there that, that needs to be resolved. And typically what we're seeing is that these delays in deploying renewables can come down to, to many different aspects. Um, there's sometimes entrenched financial interests where you know, most of the available investment is being channeled into what admittedly is tried and tested areas such as fossil fuels. And across Asia, we're also seeing, I guess, varying degrees of success in the regulatory landscape, meaning that it can be difficult to secure the right enabling conditions for investment. And these things range from things like fixed price tariffs to encourage investment in renewables, but also the removal of existing subsidies for other forms of energy. And while countries like Vietnam are, are really starting to move finance into this area, regional banks and investors are also just starting their financing of, of, these, um, of these projects in, in many cases at scale. So there's still a need to familiarize the local banks with, with these sectors. We had, a, um, we had a workshop in, in the beginning of, end of December um, in Vietnam with, with all the banks there on, on energy sector transition and you know, what the opportunities were in renewables and what some of the risks were in um, fossil fuels. And, you know, it's, 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 it's great to see the momentum and the interest from the banks, but there, there's still a little bit of a learning curve needed in order to be comfortable with this type of investment. But 
Also, the regulatory landscape is changing as more and more countries incorporate like, climate risk assessments into their frameworks. And um, often these support country commitments, but also it's in recognition of the inherent risk to economies of climate and nature-related issues. And this was also discussed in a on sustainable regulations uh, in, in ASEAN that we released a little while back. Right, and I guess there are also plenty of story of, of lessons that Laos could learn from its neighboring countries because countries like Vietnam, Malaysia have been quite successful in driving clean energy deployment. So I guess there are plenty of best policy practices to learn from there. Yeah, I mean, while the countries have different characteristics, different legal frameworks, and, and also different um, enabling conditions for finance. I mean, there are, there are best practice examples in the region that Laos can look to in order to, um, in order to influence how, how they might want to do things in their own country. Um, but even through the report that WWF produced uh, on the power sector vision uh, research, there, there's examples there on, on specific um, issues that could um, provide Laos with the necessary information to move into renewables. So, um, you know, there's a lot of information and there's a lot of examples available on, on how to do things and, and also how not to do things, to be honest. So um, there's certainly um, opportunities there for, for those that want to um, have an ambition to move into, uh, into this uh, area. Right. So if you were to draft an action plan for Laos, if you were to sort of outline the next step that the country, the next steps that the country should take to ensure that economic development does not come at the expense of these, of its people. What do you think should the country do next? Well, I mean, it's, it's important to think long-term. It's important to think about long-term planning even in your energy sector, and especially if you want to export your energy. You need to have proper environmental impact assessments on everything you do, especially for large-scale projects. And this is really something that should be the starting point for any potential investment and any plan for development in the country. It's also um, crucial for countries to produce these plans in recognition of inclusive, low carbon and climate resilient development that not only addresses the country's mitigation or energy challenges, but will also help to build climate resilience of vulnerable sectors of society, especially in countries like Laos. And so green and inclusive growth is, it's growth that is in balance with nature and benefits people as much as possible. And you want to make that be part of any development plan for the country. Right, so a long-term view is important.
All right. I think that wraps it up very nicely and that's a great place to leave it. Thanks so much for your time and for being part of the EcoBusiness podcast. Thank you very much, Tim. It was a pleasure to be here. This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness, Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media, or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.